I think first and foremost, before you can be a really good dancer and give of yourself wholeheartedly as a dancer, you could be, could be a good person. Because I deal with a lot of the young men. I'm primarily the male teacher and the pas de deux teacher as well as running, running the senior program. But first and foremost, I tell them I want you to be good men. I want you to be respectful of women, be respectful of the profession. You know, I make sure that they open doors for the women. I make sure that they never stand in the front of the class. They're always at the back of the class. Do you know what I mean? That there's a respect there. Uh, maybe it's a little bit sort of old school, yeah. but and I always tell them, you're like I'm as tough as nails with you, but I cared, cared deeply about you. And you're like you, they're like my sons, if you like. Hope you're having a lovely week. I'm Georgia Canning, your host. Now, I've been meaning to have today's conversation for a while now. I just had to find the perfect time to pin down one of my very busy but favorite humans in the whole wide world, Mr. Paul Boyd. Mr. Boyd, as you'll hear me refer to him, because honestly, I am absolutely incapable of calling him Paul, was my coach growing up from about 10 to I think about 14 years old. And at the time, Mr. Boyd was still performing with Queensland Ballet and continued to take me for private coaching as he entered retirement. Mr. Boyd entered my life during, you know, those pivotal years as a young dancer when you need the utmost attention and care if you're going to make a career out of ballet. You also need the perfect balance between tough love and kindness, which Mr. Boyd, in my opinion, has down to a fine art. Now, Regular listeners of the podcast have heard me occasionally talk about having some extremely, I guess, damaging ballet teachers who didn't necessarily have the best intentions when it came to their students. And I just want to clarify that Mr. Boyd was one of the only teachers I ever had that I unquestionably trusted and can say with confidence really made me the dancer and subsequently teacher that I am today. I was going to share a little background, but we actually delve quite deep into Mr. Boyd's illustrious career, both overseas and here in Australia, working with some of the most world-renowned choreographers and artists. As a young student, you're, I guess, so self-absorbed and only occasionally explore your teacher's past, but never really in depth. So I must admit it was really nice to sit down and learn so much more about the man, the artist and now teacher that I admire so much. I, look, I really do. I care for this man more than words can describe. And I felt so teary towards the end of the interview as I reflected on how beautiful this man truly is. I remember performing in Queensland Ballet's Sleeping Beauty, one of my first tastes of a professional performance, when Mr. Boyd would watch me warm up side stage and check in to see how my nerves were. I'm certain that by the end of this interview, you'll be just as in love with Mr. Boyd as I am. As a teacher, I guess you just never know the impact that you can have on a student. And I'm so glad that Mr. Boyd has not only reminded me of this, but was a part of my life growing up. I endeavor to be as kind and impactful as he was to me for my students. So thank you, Mr. Boyd, for your time to generously have this conversation for the public and for continuously pushing me to reach for the stars, not only as a human, but a ballet teacher. Mm-hmm.
Welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, Mr. Boyd. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. So the reason why I wanted to talk to you, not only because when I was a young girl, I was so self-absorbed when you were teaching me, I you know, didn't really find out too much about you. I This is my chance to now. <laughs> um, but also because so many of the listeners and so many of my own adult ballet clients and my own younger students too, always hear me talk so fondly of my absolutely favorite ballet coach oh, growing up that's so sweet um i will never call you paul you're mr boyd oh. to me um <laughs> that's lovely because that is a sign of uh, it is a sign of respect i would never expect it but i do find that that is that's nice actually with my very first ballet teacher that i still have mm. i still can't call her by and i've known yeah. her for nearly 60 years and i can't call her by her first name it's funny isn't that's it weird so you're always mr boyd to me but um, I wanted to sort of dive into today a bit about your life and your career. And um, I've heard you say that when you were a little boy, you knew you were destined to be a ballet dancer, that you didn't have a plan B. How did you know that? What sparked your attention and I guess eventually devotion to ballet? It's, I, you know, it's a very hard question for me to answer because I just knew at an extremely young age that I, that was all I ever desired. It was all I ever wanted. And at four, as the story goes, I was four years old with my father in Wagga Wagga in New South Wales, um, rural New South Wales, and I was dancing around at the bank apparently at four and my ballet teacher, who was going to be my ballet teacher, knew my dad. She was actually a friend of the family and she said to him, Bob, why don't you bring him into me? He's jumping around. I'll I'll get some rid of it, some energy for you. And so I went to my first tap class. Oh, so, so you started with tap? I started with tap when I was four, believe it or not. And there was just something in me that knew... I, I, it, I, 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 I get a bit tongue-tied because I only knew that I've never wanted to do anything else with my life. So there was never a plan B. Music was a huge part of, what I, of what I, why I danced. Yeah. Um, and I think my very first ballet teacher, I speak very, very fondly of her, she, uh, Beverly Waters. She's a, um, a teacher in Adelaide. And she was almost my saviour. Sounds quite strange, but I was very bullied as a child. Yeah. Um, Growing up in New South Wales in the 60s, wanting to be a dancer of any sort, let alone a ballet dancer. It's like, who's the freak in the corner? So it was not accepted at all, and I was very, very bullied. And so when I used to go to my ballet classes of a morning, I used to have little private lessons, I think, with her at like 7 in the morning before class. And I remember her dropping me off at the school and like being with her she was like my again she was just like my savior it's hard to explain you just but knew i just knew and she gave me sort of like a space to feel comfortable in as a little kid dancing i used to do it all tapping and highland dancing and irish dancing and modern and ballet it was it was a mixture of stuff but it was my safe space and i knew that she was sort of my protector if you like of that not that my mum and dad were not but she, i i wanted to be a dancer so bad at a very young age and she allowed me that space i suppose so how how long did you dance with with her for um, I was probably until I was about, I think I was 12, um, and she gave me a real love of what I do. And then when I was 12, she and her husband, um, who was also a ballet dancer and uh, with the Australian Ballet. So when I was 12, I was very fortunate enough, the first male teacher that, teacher that I had, he, uh, he'd come out of the profession, fresh out of the profession as a soloist with the Australian Ballet. So I had before me this man who could dance. So wow. he was a great, great um, sort of 
advertisement for what I wanted to be and do. They unfortunately left Wagga and moved down to Tasmania, but through the web of ballet, there was a fantastic school in Canberra, the Brian, Brian Lawrence School of Ballet. Yeah. So Brian Lawrence, who was an ex-principal of the Australian Ballet, and his wife, Janet Caron, mm-hmm. they had a school in Canberra. And so Robert, who was, who was the teacher with Beverly, he, uh, he contacted Brian. They were good mates in the Australian Ballet. So he said, I've got this boy and I'd like you to see him. So I used to, between the ages of 13 and 16, I think 13, 14 yeah, 13, 14, 15, I used to every week for three years travel to Canberra for my ballet lessons. Wow. So I used to travel, uh, probably I would leave mid-morning of a Friday and I used to either bus, train or if I think if my dad had an extra win at the races, <laughs> I used to fly me down there. So for those three years and I billeted with about 15 different families yeah. um, and a lot of and I used well. I, I went to school, like educational school, from you know Monday through to Friday morning, and then I'd hop on my transport and go to to Canberra. And at that very young age, I used to basically wander the streets of Canberra. You wouldn't do it now, but back <laughs> forty odd years ago, yeah, uh, I used to have my little blue suitcase and I used to wander around until my ballet classes were set. Get on my bus, go to my ballet classes, and then I was billeted out. So I had, I felt in those years, those formative years when you're 13, 14, 15 trying to find yourself, I learned an amazing communicative skills because I was being billeted out with all these different families and from different socioeconomic um, backgrounds. So um, I, I, I was mixing with a lot of people and the students that I, that I was with, they were of course, that was also like like a saviour for me because I was mixing with people who wanted to be dancers. I found my people, if mm. you like, you know. And I still have contact with some of those people all these years, all these decades later. Yeah. So that was a really wonderful period. Some people have asked me, oh, you must have missed out on a lot of, on, on a lot of childhood. People I, say that, don't they? No. Yeah. God, that was my childhood. That's what I craved to do. I couldn't wait for Fridays to come along so I'd go to Canberra and dance. Mm. And I would dance all of like Friday afternoon and evening, all of Saturday and all of Sunday. And then I used to get back on the bus, probably like if I remember rightly, eight or nine at night. And I would get home to Wagga at about 12 or one in the morning. And then the week would begin again. Yeah, it's so funny. I often have sometimes people say to me, like, you missed out on a childhood. And I'm like, I, I don't feel that way at all. I mean, I certainly wasn't bullied at school, but mm. but I, I definitely feel like when I was younger, I perhaps didn't quite fit in like everyone mm. else I, I don't know I felt a little bit different and in my ballet world I felt very at home oh completely so I completely oh, yeah. understand as a little boy I used to I was like I was very bullied like I have a lot of um empathy for any child that's bullied these days and I think these days is possibly even worse with yeah. all the cyberbullying and all of that sort of stuff but I used to I used to write my name thousands and thousands and thousands of times i wish i'd have kept the books why because i would write my name because i used to say to myself nobody wants to know you now you're bullied and no one cares about you or wants to even know you but one day people will know you i used to keep saying to myself people will know you and people will want your name they will want your they will want my name they will want my autograph so i have my autograph now is quite a very elaborate it's quite thank you for that word it's quite (laughs) elaborate because i just it was in a way my it was my name my name was my savior in a way because i knew i wanted it so bad i wanted to be a dancer so bad yeah 
that that got me through when I was spat on and kicked and hit and punched and all of that sort of stuff. I just used to think to myself, just get this period of your life over and done with, Paul. Just be done with it because there are bigger and better things for you to do in the future. It's so sad yet such a beautiful story. <laughs> yeah, it's, I've often thought, you know, it's very funny. I've often thought about writing a book about that and passing that on to, to young people about the I fact. I think you should. Yeah, it's very funny. It's been on my in mind. In all your free time. <laughs> hey, yes, in all my free time. But I've really thought about that because, I, I, you know, you see terrible things on television still yeah. about bullying and I think maybe – Maybe these few words might come somehow comfort people or help people because it was a terrible period and I still kind of suffer all these decades later because, it, yeah, I was, I was badly bullied. But I'm mm. sure that there's um, many young boys that dance that would love yeah. a book like that. Yeah, it's funny. I've often thought about that. Maybe do you think I should? Maybe I, I should. I think you should. I think you should. And Maybe then I can I get you back on the podcast to uh, to promote it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Your performance career spanned twenty five years on stage. Um, across Switzerland, Germany, of course, Australia. Where did your professional career begin? So where after all the, the trips to Canberra, where did you go So from it was funny because as a young, just the gigs in a way that I had, when I was 13, I remember performing as a young kid with the Australian Opera. There was an, um, an opera that went around, a Janacek opera, Yenufa, I will never forget it. With I remember the names, Elizabeth Cornell and Rich Robert Gard, who were very famous opera singers at the time. Yeah. And I never forget standing on the stage as a young dancer, as a young kid, with the power of these opera singers. I will wow. never forget this. It was just blew my head off my shoulders. So I had that experience of actually standing on the stage and realising what it was like to hear an applause from an audience and like in a proper theatre, you know. So when I was, uh, I went to the Australian Ballet School and then I, after I, I left there, I actually joined a show with my then girlfriend who is now my wife of 37 years or something I wow. don't know anymore but we joined a um, a travelling a travelling sort of a Disney on parade type show and that took us all around Australia and it took me to America and it took me to Mexico and that took probably oh I don't know 18 months of my life I suppose and it was an amazing experience I'm so glad I was 17 when I joined the thing and travelled the world and it was, a, it was truly a wonderful thing. 13 performances a week. So you had to be very fit and um, make, make, make sure that the makeup was done uh, before every performance. And yeah. so it, it taught me good ethics, I think, backstage ethics and all of that. So you and Glenda met at 17? I was 17, just 17. Glenn was a little bit older. She was 21. Wow. So she was a little bit older. Yeah, so we'd been together for... Four, Forever. I think for <laughs> something, 40... I think it's about 43 years or something now. I yeah, it must be about 43 years. That's so, incredible. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I was a kid. I was just, just 17. So I was just a boy. So Was it instant love or was it just... Yeah, a- I was... A, yeah, for, for me, I was just this young kid who saw this gorgeous looking woman and I thought, yeah, I'm gonna do, <laughs> I'll go for that. <laughs> I love it. Because you, you and Glenda are so great together. <laughs> mum, mum just loves Glenda. Oh, that's sweet. That's, yeah, yeah, she's, we, she's an incredible woman. Yeah, she's great. I mean, she gave me, not gave me my career, but she supported me so, so much 
during all those years. You know, after we left, well, after we left America in the, with the with the show, we then travelled. She had been previously she danced in Monte Carlo. She had studied in Monte Carlo, so with a very That's famous. Right. Um, mm. Uh, Russian teacher Marika Besobrasova, who has since passed away, but she had an extremely famous academy in, in Monte Carlo. All the Nuriev had an apartment there. Actually, Glenda lived in Nuriev's apartment wow. in Monte Carlo. Like it was, yeah, amazing period. So we, we went over there together and we studied with Marika and then we auditioned for uh, companies in Germany. And actually, we were very lucky. The first company that we auditioned for, we got in, which was in Dusseldorf. Together. Together. How good so is that? that? That was just like, that was really, that was ideal. So, yeah, so we joined that company and I really, I had an amazing group of, of well, when I say a group, I had a couple of truly fantastic people who, who took me under their wing and coached me and I sort of, I was promoted there to a soloist and I had ballets created for me. I had actually one man... If I can just di- regret, digress, is that the right? Go back. I think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. When I was when I was at the Australian Ballet School and I yeah. was fifteen, sixteen, there was a travelling. Well, it was a Stars of World Ballet, and I Edgley bought it out. Michael Edgley yes. bought it out with Robert Helpman, and I used to go there every night to the Palais Theatre and watch all these stars of the world at, at that time. And there was a dancer on the stage called Peter Breuer. He was a German star, and he. I used to go every night to the Palais and watch him and admire him. And all those that four years later, I was in the company with him in Düsseldorf. He was a guest principal in the company, and he took me under his wing. And he started to coach me and he actually created his first ballet for me. Wow. So I was very young and I had these choreographers that were wanting to, wanting to work with me. So I, I was extremely blessed at that very young age of 18, 19 that I had people who were actually creating ballets for me. So I already at that age understood the importance of standing in the room with a choreographer and having something created on my body. And I just knew that that's where my future sort of was that's where the future should go for me so we spent six years in Dusseldorf mm-hmm. um, and the, my children our kids were born there as well they're both oh, born, I didn't know that. yeah they were both born in Germany actually Natalie was born in April of 86 and that's when the Chernobyl disaster happened in the Ukraine so we it, we were actually quite scared for our lives to tell you the absolute truth it was quite a frightening experience and we felt that we did we, we a lot of things were brushed under the carpet over there in germany yeah and uh when we really learned what had really happened and our families were like get on the next plane get on the next plane so we basically left not overnight but i put glenda was on a plane within natalie's birth i think she was on she was home within about three weeks and then i had to stay and just fulfill a little bit of my contract but i was determined i said my family is more important than my career in that in that fact so uh we came back to australia and that's when i joined queensland ballet mr boyd you need to write a book (laughs) <laughs> that's an amazing story yeah it's kind of is it really i don't know yeah oh i think everyone doesn't think that their own story is amazing oh god no but, so it's maybe. just sort of what happened but it, when i look back like it was there was a lot of interesting experiences there i have to say so we came back and came back to queensland ballet and bought a house and all that sort of stuff here in brisbane really enjoying my time and then i got a call well, it was actually a letter in the mail. I'm going back 30-odd years yeah. now. From a man that I ha- who had created ballets for me when I was 19 in, in my very early 20s. And he now had become a director in Germany. And he said to me, is there any way you and the Glenda and the children will come back again? And it was, I said no, because I thought the family is settled. And it was my wife that said to me, this is crazy. We've got to go. You've got to do this. You get one career 
and you you're never going to be these this age again. We have to go. So we actually because time is of the essence as a professional dancer. Time is of the essence, absolutely. And I loved working with this man so much. It was not just some random person that contacted me. So I ended up we ended up moving back within that year of finding that letter. We were we were back in Germany a year later, Uh, and then I worked with him. And then I found other choreographers, and I found a wonderful, wonderful man who who started to really work intensely with me and I realized he was a Hungarian man, Yuri Vamos was his name and he he was becoming extremely well known over there and he was creating fantastic um, big narrative ballets and at that age, like 27 I think I was at that time, I was realizing that was the direction that I wanted my career to go in and I was working with a, a wonderful American ballerina, Joyce Corco was her name yeah. and she uh, she was just a f- huge influence on my life. She wanted to work, she was quite a famous woman and she only wanted to work with me so I was very blessed that I that she and she and Yuri were husband and wife so Yuri knew that she wanted to work with me so I was blessed that I had her to work with and a lot of ballets were created for me around that time with Yuri and Joyce and uh, from we with Glenda and I then moved to Bonn for a year to work with Yuri and then he uh, got the directorship in Basel in Switzerland and so he took me down to Basel and we dance. I danced there for another six years, I think, in Basel in Switzerland as his principal dancer. And we toured all around the world and, and it was a wonderful period, really wonderful time in my life. And so what was the reason for coming back home? How did the rejoining of Queensland Ballet happen? So the rejoining of Queensland Ballet happened because basically my time in Basel had come to an end and Yuri was leaving and he was going on coincidentally back to Dusseldorf where I first started and so he wanted to take me back there but our son was nearly 13 at the time and it was high school time yeah so and I had I'd really had I danced a lot you know and it was a wonderful wonderful period over there but my wife rightly said (laughs) she said to me you can go on to Dusseldorf but I'm going back to Australia so I thought well okay it's time better come (laughs) I knew it was time actually because I was 36 at the time and how much longer can you really go so I contacted the then uh, director of Queensland Ballet again Harold Collins uh, really lovely man, great man, and he said, "Of course you can come back." So that I, we basically came back because for the schooling of the children, to tell you the absolute truth, because we knew it was time. Because if you move to another country, and then your children get involved, you know, it, again with that language, and they get settled at that age. You would have felt guilty ripping them out if you decided, Absolutely. you know, halfway through high school to come Absolutely. back. Absolutely, and we always made sure that they understood that Australia was their home. We were living in Germany, living in Switzerland, and all of that. But Australia was our home, so it was only fair that at that age that we brought them home. So that was that was what was that ninety six? I think that was when we came back to Australia. There's um, I was going to ask you. There's not really on, on the Australian bandwagon. Uh, there's not really a part of the Australian ballet landscape that you haven't touched i mean i i did a little bit of research um but there's actually there's it's very hard to find things about you mr boyd very mysterious <laughs> but you know you've you've touched australian ballet whopper mcdonald college tanya pearson multiple ballet schools in brisbane and of yeah. course you know the rich history with queensland ballet yeah. what what are your thoughts on on ballet in australia um where where are we headed how how do you feel about ballet in australia well i think it's i, th- I think i think ballet in australia is 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 
very fertile. I think it's great because mm. I think there's a lot of directors who have the opportunity to bring in a lot of different choreographers now. I think the ballet companies, like any ballet company in the world, like if you look at the Royal Ballet, it's not just built on English dancers. Mm. There's many, many different nationalities and there's not just one style now. I think there's many, many, many fantastic teachers around um, many wonderful dancers from so many different countries and nationalities and I think that that's what Australia has adopted as well which I think is a great thing if you, if you want to have an international ballet company you do need to have dancers from all over the world and people want to come to Australia you yeah. know it's such a fantastic country to live in and now with COVID I mean we're all realising yes especially in Queensland and in Brisbane what a wonderful wonderful state and a wonderful you know city we live in um but I think, look, I think that, you know, you think about if you look at the repertoire now of a lot of the Australian companies, you know, WA Ballet, Queensland Ballet, Australian Ballet, you know, it's filled with international choreographers and there's guests and there's wonderful, wonderful dancers. Mm. You know, and the, the, the standard of dancers these days is truly phenomenal. I mean, I look, I've been in the industry for my whole life, but I still look at the dancer of today and I'm in awe that the body can do what it what it what it does these days. There's a, there's there's a lot of um, uh, what's the word like choreographers expect so much of the body now, so they're like amazingly fit athletes. Mm. And I think with all the research on nutrition and yes. strength and everything that we do nowadays, it it makes it possible without you know some of the injuries that may have occurred previously yeah. trying these yeah. things. Yeah, absolutely. We're blessed that we've got sort of the medical teams and all of that sort of stuff now. Queensland Ballet must be pretty close to your heart. You've spent so much time here as a, a dancer and a choreographer and a ballet master and a teacher and, and now head of the senior program of the academy and a resident choreographer there. How much how much does this place mean to you? A huge amount. I take I take everything that happens, you know, very personally if you like because I've been such a I've been a part of it for 30 oh, about 34 years or something now I suppose so I've seen it through many many periods I've been in many different buildings with Queensland Ballet I've seen lots of ballet masters ballet mistresses dancers directors I've sort of worked under three directors here um, and you know I've been through all the different periods and it, and it really is a, it's wonderful to see how it's developed now you know I mean with Lee what he i mean he's quite a phenomenal man you know in all areas i mean i think he's incredibly connected to the political world if you like he's connected to the artistic world and the financial world being a stockbroker himself so he he is truly an amazing human being i admire him greatly um and queensland and now that i'm i run the the well i run the uh, senior yeah. program of, of at the academy and i'm seeing the young talent come through and there's some truly some wonderful talent there we have a director christian touchev he's of bulgarian yes uh, descent and truly really i say it from my heart a great guy a really wonderful man i admire him greatly he's a lot younger than i am but he is so perfect for that role good man so i think we work with good people i think queensland ballet is, is run by good people Dilshani and Lee, who, who, you know, the executive director and the artistic director, they're good people. And I think that says a lot. If you've got good people running it, then I can only be, if the, if the captain of the ship is mm. a good person, then I think, you know, all the crew will follow there. Yeah, I have um, I have such a fond, a fondness for Queensland Ballet, just yeah. for having so much to do with it as a young dancer. Yeah. And, and it's funny when people ask me about, you know, if they if their child particularly wants to be a dancer, and and I always send them sort of the Queensland Ballet way because I just feel like Queensland Ballet is really 
leading the way when it comes to creating a, a positive culture, yes. I guess, for young dancers. It makes me happy also knowing that you're behind oh, a lot of, you know, the next generation yeah. of dancers. That makes me really happy. So, because I know that you want them to be not just good dancers, but good people. Yeah. So. I think first and foremost, before you can be a really good dancer and give of yourself wholeheartedly as a dancer, you could be, could be a good person. Because I deal with a lot of the young men. I'm primarily the male teacher and the pas de deux teacher as well as running, running the senior program. But first and foremost, I tell them, I want you to be good men. I want you to be respectful of women, be respectful of the profession. You know, I make sure that they open doors for the women. I make sure that they never stand in the front of the class. They're always at the back of the class. Do you know what I mean? That there's a respect there. Uh, maybe it's a little bit sort of old school. Yeah. But, and I always tell them, you're like, I'm as tough as nails with you, but I cared care deeply about you and you're like you they're like my sons if you like so i make sure that they understand that there's a very caring um thought behind everything that i do say and i and i can be as you probably might realize i'm tough <laughs> like i know i'm tough because the, the job's tough well that's how i describe you you're so tough but nobody will care for you more no that's really that nice. is that Thank is seriously you. how i describe you kind. and 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 i agree but i was going to ask you about teaching how how did you transition or get into teaching mm. from you know mm. your professional career i mean i've been teaching for before i stopped dancing mm. i mean i stopped dancing i was nearly 43 and I've been stopped dancing now, I think, for about 17 years. So I, but before I stopped dancing, I realized that I had like an, it was maybe not a passion back then because I was so into what I was doing as a dancer, but I realized that probably all that I had learned, uh, I, could, I could pass on. I had the possibility because I think I was not a natural, uh, I've often thought, you know, um, I loved my desire to dance. Mm was greater than my talent. So I, th I, I wanted it so bad, more than anything, I had to actually build my talent up to match my desire. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any no, sense. No, it does make sense. It was sense. not that I was untalented. I don't mean like any false modesty or anything like that. But I do believe that my desire was so enormous. I was so wanting it so bad i i had no choice but to get myself to that to that technical sp space that i needed to be because I, I i had to because my desire was so big so as a dancer i was never i was never a natural technician at all i i hated pirouettes i couldn't really turn very well but i knew that if i wanted to dance those roles i had to understand on my body how i had to do those things because no one was going to hire me if, you, if i couldn't do pirouettes for instance, a man. Yeah. So I learnt myself. So when I teach now, I teach very specifically because I know what works. I oh, know. I know. What. I know how specific you are. <laughs> oh, you so, remember? So specific. I literally have in my notes here when I was sort of thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about. I um, I wrote down. Gosh, it's raining, isn't it? That it was is. thunder before, that wasn't was. it? I reckon everyone might be able to hear that because um, it was coming through my headphones. <laughs> um, I remember coming out of one of my first private lessons with you, having done tondu for like an hour. <laughs> and I said to mum, like, n you know, mum never had a clue about the ballet world. And she didn't understand my frustration and she just kept saying, Mr. Boyd is a marvellous teacher, Georgia. Like, you just, you have to trust him. And, you know, there's there's something about that man. He'll also teach you kindness. Oh, and she, I remember her saying that because, you know, growing up, it's not that I wasn't 
kind. I was just really self-absorbed with and focused yeah. on my dreams yeah. and what I wanted to accomplish. So I think sometimes that came across as a little bit aloof maybe. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah. And so she, yeah, you're like, that. yep, you were a bit aloof, yep. But um but yeah, no. No, but I just I did I but I remember yeah. that compl- on you as a little girl. I remember that absolute inward concentration if you if you like. When I think back now, yeah, I was just so in, and it was all about what I was doing, and I and I was very oblivious to the world around me. At the end of the day, I think the reason my mum trusted you as as my teacher was because she knew that you were such a kind man that you were not only going to teach me how to dance, but teach me also to be a kind human being oh and God, a little bit more really human. So so, so, so lovely to hear. Yeah, no, because sometimes I, I think, oh, I'm just. I'm just an angry old man, and no, I'm not. No. But I, but I, but I, 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 I do know in my heart that I'm that I am tough. But again, I try and do it with, with the with kindness for, for the profession because I love the profession so much. But the profession's tough. Yeah. But like they're tough. They can be brutally honest and brutally tough. So it's my job to prepare them, not just physically but psychologically as well, yep. what they're going to have to endure. And I tell them every day, I love you like a son, but I'm going to be as tough as nails with you. So they're prepared for it in a way, you know? I, I think as a teacher myself now, I think I may have picked up a couple of those traits. <laughs> I'm very, like, it's funny. I asked my senior girls the other day, I was like, how would you describe me as a teacher? And they were like, they thought about it because I think they thought, how do we word this without Miss <laughs> Georgia getting angry at us? And they were like, you're super tough. But we know you love us, oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> and so maybe, maybe it's all, all oh, because isn't of that you. Lovely, that's, <laughs> I don't. Is that a good thing? I hope so. I think it's a good. thing. I think it is. But I was going to ask you, what do you think makes a brilliant teacher? Do you, did you have any teachers growing up that inspired you? Oh yeah, I had, I had, I, I always knew my. T- well, I suppose I'm adopting the same type of thing because I'm just going to say I knew that they were tough, but I knew that they were kind at the same time i knew they only wanted the best for me so i think you've got i think it's when i first start with the boys at queensland ballet every year i make a book for them i make about a 90 page book of what my expectations are of them what they can expect of me and i make them write a mission statement wow and i don't want that mission statement written on a computer i want that mission statement written in your hand and with no mistakes. So I get draft after draft and I won't accept bad spelling. I won't accept filthy writing. It's got to be because it's you because I keep on saying to them, one day you're going to sign a contract. And when you sign a contract, that signature of yours is your integrity. Who are you? What are you saying about yourself with that signature? So I sort of go to that point with them, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 make, I, I write the uh, – no, I, I compile this book with – um, different quotes of different people that I think that they should be learning from, not just dancers, like politicians. If, for instance, like Obama, I think like Michael Lumpin, I think he was Lumpin. a very elegant, eloquent man who had some truly some wonderful things to say. So he, Roger Federer, um, you know, of course, ballet dancers. Uh, but I think it's really important that they learn from those type of people who have got who have integrity. I try to teach them about integrity. I try and teach them about work ethic and about concentration and and that it's not going to come easy for them. And yeah. you should be grateful that it doesn't come easy. I was always so grateful in my life the times that were tough. 
at the time you don't realize but then you look back in hindsight and you go i'm so grateful that i didn't get that on a silver platter because god do i appreciate this now i look back and i'm so grateful now that you spent an hour working on my tondu in that first <laughs> lesson you set yeah. the precedent and i <laughs> isn't that funny that that stays yeah wow, and god. i said and i said to mum, you don't understand not tondu in the center like on the bar <laughs> we didn't leave the bar and mum was like obviously being the non-dance parent was like i don't know what you're talking about just, <laughs> just trust me but i um, think patience is an important thing too as, as a teacher yeah because they're going to develop at different times so i think that and i i am actually still learning that how to be patient with them and not to expect it straight away and to realize that just little increment by little increment is eventually going to give you the dancer that you need. But they do have to put their own time and effort and love into it because we're not magicians. Yeah. You know, I said, I'm not, I'm basically the messenger. You, I point to them and say, you are the teacher. I don't know what it's like to do it on your body. So all I can do is give you the, give you the ingredients so if you, could, if you follow my recipe and you put these ingredients in, I swear to you, if you work properly and intensely on your instrument, these ingredients will make it happen for you. But that's up to them. Mm-hmm. I've had to, I tried, I would always try and make them do it. And I've realized as I, as I get older, you can't. Mr. There's a wonderful, he's a friend of mine and he's actually, he's the head of this, um, the pre-professional program here at Queensland Ballet. And he said, Paul? And he sees he, we've been mates since we were 17, since Monte Carlo, actually. We've yeah. known each other. And he said to me, Paul, it's like fishing. Yeah. I said, how so, Vim? He said, some will bite and some won't. And it's like some will take the bait and some won't. They've, you, you, can, you can set the bait down there. And if they want to take it, they will. And if they don't, they don't. So it's in the end product is up to them whether they choose to take that or not. It's their decision. I make it very clear. Your career is your decision, not mine. Mm. I think one of the hardest things about being a teacher that I've found is letting go. You can't do the work for them. No. Which is exactly what you're saying. I've found that so difficult. I think growing up, I loved ballet exams for some reason. I just loved ballet exams. I loved ballet exams more than performing for some reason. I don't know why. I just, they were my thing. I loved it. And putting students through ballet exams is, I hate it so much. (laughs) I love it for them. I love the accomplishment, but it is so frustrating not being able to do it for them. Yeah, 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 I get it. (laughs) And I find that the most hard hard thing as a teacher is letting go. And it's so funny that I talked to you today because I'm doing exactly the same thing at this exactly now with the the young men at, at Queensland Ballet Academy. I'm putting them through their exams now. And today, there was a vast difference in the way they work today. Mm-hmm. And we were in the big, big studio at the academy and that's where they were, the exam would be held. And suddenly they came alive and I said, you're doing it today, not me, you're doing it. And it was, just, it was actually very gratifying as a teacher to see them take responsibility for all the questions that have been said over the last weeks and months. They suddenly just today, so I'm actually, it's just so funny that we talk about that now. When we first met one another, it wasn't about me, it was about mum, because you guys found out that Angela McGill oh, was God, yes. your first part of her partner. Yeah, Angie. And, wow. and you guys hit it off like a house on fire and started talking about that because Angela was in the ballet school that mum was in for a hot second. Mum wants me to always say that she was <laughs> never a ballerina, <laughs> but she always used to look up to Angela because she was one of the big girls. Oh, and she was your first part of her partner. Yeah, my God. I had actually 
forgotten to be I honest. I know. With Mum you. was and like, "Make sure that you oh, remind Paul." Angie was gorgeous girl. We actually did when we were very young, when we were both in the Australian Ballet School. The Australian Ballet School, we 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 danced on television together. We did yeah. Flower Festival at Genzano back. I mean, that's really when we were fifteen or something. And I remember that trip. We flew down to up to Sydney and performed. I didn't even know what for anymore. But isn't that weird that we? Yeah, gorgeous girl. Really, really lovely girl. Actually, I have not had real contact with her for many years, but she is very good friends with people of, of good friends of mine in Melbourne. So there is a bit of a connection still there, to tell you the truth. Yeah, there wow. you go. Amazing, amazing. And, um, and because the listeners know that I just admire you so much and they probably sort of wonder, because I've had some go, oh, well, where did Mr Boyd teach as to why you ended up... How, how did we end up having private lessons, Mr Boyd? <laughs> Do you well, remember? Just, well, I just remember... I'm just thinking, for the listeners, the very first time, if I remember it was the first time, Georgia was in a class with me. This must be 20 years ago. Yes. And this little tiny thing stood in front of me and jumped like I I have never seen a young child jump like this. And I remember saying... You're like a little kangaroo, darling, the way you jump. I'll never forget this unbelievable natural jump that you had, that ballon. And then, like, that was... It was an open class. For the Gold Coast... Combined dance teachers. It was, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. But I I loved that. And as a teacher and a studio owner now, I wish that was still around because having combined dance teachers meant that you got the opportunity to dance with students from all other studios. But yeah, you were taking an open class and you were were giving out a bursary for it. And and I remember afterwards you you were like, oh, you're a strange child. Like, you're like a little kangaroo. I I remember thinking, you're like, I did think that. I remember this, you had a huge jump. So that, that, and that was just natural. When you see a little child jump like that, you just know that that is just something that's in them. They're born with that. It was my party trick. <laughs> it was a good one. Yeah. And, and then, like, you, you have to refresh my memory. Then how did the private lessons... I actually am not really sure. And I was asking oh mum and she goes, no, I'm not sure. She goes, Mr. Boy just sort of took an interest in you and then you started working and we had our lessons at House of Dance, I think, yes, once a week. Yes. And then for a period oh. there, it turned into twice a week. Oh and. And I, I honestly credit you really as the most caring teacher oh, I ever Georgia, had. No, really. So, so the I'm, most... I'm sitting a bit in shock actually because, I, yeah, that's just so lovely that you remember me in that way. I do, I do. And I credit, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that I do and a lot of things that I say when I'm in the studio um, to, to what you taught me. Um, I mean, I tell all my students to not do their part of berets like they've got a dirty nappy on, <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> which is what you did used Did you remember say. me saying that? Yes, oh my I God. do. I, I do. still say it you, to this day. Still I still it? say it to this day. So I've adopted that now. Oh, my God. So all my adults that I teach, all my adults that I teach, they're so funny whenever we're doing, like, say, a chasse part of into a sort of exercise and I'm like stop doing it like you've got to do it and they all laugh and if there's anybody new in the class they're like oh that was a bit of a weird comment but anybody who's been you know at, at my studio for years now oh, that knows is, that it's a Paul Boyd comment oh that is gorgeous I love that well I'm glad the dirty nappy is still hanging in the studio it certainly <laughs> That's is it's gorgeous it certainly is but um yeah it's funny I I I just I've been thinking a lot lately about um, I I love how everything's turned out for myself. Like I I, Mm. like we said at the at the um, start of this conversation before I was recording, and the listeners know that I I gave up obviously 
going down that path of being a professional dancer and did communications and marketing at uni. But it's funny how I love what I'm doing now. I'm still in the ballet world, but I also sort of get to be a journalist yeah. at the same time, yeah. which is was also a passion of mine. Yeah. But I, I sometimes get asked if I have any regrets and I, and I actually think, and I think one of the themes that I'm always trying to drill home with the Balanced Ballerinas podcast and guests that I speak to is the importance of having a support system. Yeah. And I think that my... My only regret as a young dancer is that I had this amazing support system in you and my parents and in my stubbornness, I didn't listen to you and my parents when you wanted me to stay in Queensland and that's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't stay in Queensland and, and I think that's why I also try and get into the doors of Queensland Ballet as much as possible because mm. I just love this place and oh, I think it's to hear. fantastic. And um, and so I'm always just trying to drill home to parents that, you know, to trust their ballet teachers, mm. it, you know, if they have that beautiful relationship like mm. we did and mum just trusted you. Oh, isn't that sweet? God. You know, 100%. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think like you, like if, if my child mm. uh, had gone into hockey, for instance, yeah. or had gone into, um, I don't know, on a horse. Like I, I um, on a horse, that doesn't Equestrian. Sound very, <laughs> equestrian on a horse. But had gone into it had gone a, a horse race, not on horse, a horse. You know what sunset. I mean, though, like equestrian yeah, yeah, yeah. racing. Or, like I know nothing about those subjects. Yeah. So I would then just hope that the person who says to me, your child is actually quite talented, I would hope that I could trust that person, that they were going to, take my child along a good journey i suppose there's a there's a huge trust involved i think with these and that's why when i speak with parents i'm very very honest Mm. because i just don't but i think ballet is very expensive i think it costs a lot of money and i don't believe in um putting rose-colored glasses on a child when i truly from my heart don't believe it it's too heartbreaking it's too tough ballet being a ballet dancer is just plain tough and if you first of all if you don't love it and it becomes a job, it's just not worth it. It shouldn't be like that. And, sh- yeah. and even if you do love it and you do have the facility, if you don't have the supportive parents that can support you both financially and emotionally, it's not going to happen, no. unfortunately. And that's heartbreaking to see, actually. It's heartbreaking to see someone who really is gifted, but maybe they just can't afford it. Or it's, ugh. I mean, I would do all I could possibly do then if I felt that someone really had an opportunity that money didn't get in the way. I find that, that that's a very sad thing. Mm. But it, it's that, it is that support system that I think is, and it just has to be a truthful support system. And when I speak with people, I only speak the truth. And I say to people, it's my truth. You know, you, you may think otherwise, but I'm just trying to tell you from, you know, being in the profession for I don't know, 40 odd years, 45 years or something. And I've been around, I've been a lot of places and seen a lot of things. And I'm just giving you my my professional thoughts. You you don't have to take them. They don't have to be yours. But mm. I do try my, I think honesty is, honesty is the best policy. Yeah, I agree. I try and be as honest as possible. And sometimes it really shoots yourself in the foot a little bit because yeah, it's, people it's, sometimes don't like the truth and go find the truth from a, a different teacher or a different absolutely. studio and, and i think you can be you know i've seen some students who are who are obviously artistic mm. like there is a there's a, an artist in there but maybe because they're it's physically not possible go and go and look for something else you're an, you're an artist you may not necessarily be a 
ballet dancer artist, mm. but there is there's an artist in there. So go discover something where you've got that outlet. It's very important because I think if you've got that in your heart, if you're an artist in your heart, nothing can replace that. Like nothing can replace my life as a dancer. No, it's different, and I have a little imaginary cupboard that I have all my ballets in in my head, and I have I have um, thoughts and memories and beautiful things i hear music on the abc radio and i go back to for instance the i dance the role of spartacus at the arena di Ferrone in verona wow. in italy like i did that probably 20 or seven years ago or something like that and to stand on that stage that's 50 meters wide 30 meters deep 125 piece orchestra and twenty thousand people nothing nothing can take that away from you that how do you how do you replace that so Nothing comes up to it. So you don't even try. That was just a memory and a period in my life that was just so phenomenal. So I have, and if I listen to the music on the radio, like so I hear a lot of ABC radio yeah. and I, and the, oh my God, I dance that. Oh my God, do you remember that? Oh, when we were in Italy and, blah, 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 and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm blessed that I had the opportunity to dance to some of the most divine music ever created and lived in all those beautiful countries. And I, I, I had a blessed life. And, you know, my wife and kids... You know, my wife had it harder, actually, in a way, because we would change countries and I would just simply go to the theatre and dance all day and do what I needed to do. You know, she had to deal with children, she had to deal with different languages, just different currencies. Finding a new support network. Finding a new support network. There was no family to help her. So when I look back and see what she accomplished, and, and I came home and she was always there for me, supporting me and... My clothes were always washed. My yeah. food was always on the table. Those basic human needs. But that was always there for me. And we would just, it just worked. Somehow the kids, you know, my children come, would come to the theatre. I suppose they were, not that we were ever financially wealthy, but they were wealthy from the richness of what my career sort of gave them to live in those places and come to the theatre and see different things and travel and you know? I had I had some of the balanced ballerinas community ask um, whether I could ask you what your favourite ballet of all time oh is God. to dance, or oh, maybe your favourite role. You know, I had um, so I danced the role of Spartacus. Now, I'm no Kirk Douglas, shall we say, from Spartacus from the what the 1950s when that maybe. So when I was cast in the role, I actually almost went to the director and said, "I think you've made a mistake." Really. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was really because I'm short and I'm not super handsome and I've got sort of short arms and I think you're rather handsome. Bless Mr. Boyd. you, but that's very kind of you. But I know the reality. <laughs> but I, I, without no false modesty, but like I j- honestly thought, oh my god, I'm just not meant for this role. I can't dance that. Look at me. I'm not meant for that. And I am so grateful that I didn't do it because it became a signature role of mine. And I danced it all over the world and. I danced it in incredible theatres and arenas and all those sort of things. So if I think back, I truly love that role. And to have that Kachaturian score screaming up at me from um, America and I danced it in Israel and I danced it in South Africa and I danced it in Italy and Germany. And so I, that role was really special to me because I never thought I would ever do it. I never dreamt that somebody like me could do it. <coughs> so that's a... I danced all the... 
Nutcrackers and Sleeping Beauties and Swan Lakes that were fantastic as well and all those Tchaikovsky scores. But that, I think Spartacus holds a very, very special that oh yeah that big music at the end that big de music at the end when you're exhausted and you've danced for two and a half hours to have that screaming up at you they're moments that i will never forget you know that beautiful moments in my life and being the balanced ballerinas podcast i always ask my guests what is your tip for leading a balanced life balance means something different to everybody but whatever springs to mind i don't know i i think my family really my family allow me to have that balance in my life i have five grandchildren now so when those little kids come and run to me and put their arms around me and i love you pa and they want to read to me and actually the bracelet i'm wearing a little bracelet i was going to say is that from them and my little granddaughter ariel who's five she made this for me and she said pa will you promise never to take this off so i made a promise to her that i would never take it off so it's never off it's maybe Suits not you. exactly my little coloured color, <laughs> bit, but it's those <laughs> things actually that I suppose my family, you know, my wife and my my kids and my grandkids, and that's that's my balance. Plus a nice glass of wine every now and again. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't. I, I've travelled a lot. I feel like I've done a huge amount in my life, and now it's really time for me to not sit not sit back. I don't mean that, but I loved. It's wonderful to sit actually at a table and see my family conversing and laughing and having a glass of wine and a beer and that for me is very fulfilling yeah just looking actually i don't even have to contribute to the conversation i'm actually very happy just to sit back and, and look and think i was actually a part of this you know i i, I helped well, create i helped it. create this if you like you, you know did. so that's it maybe sounds just a bit ordinary but i no, think that that family and those little grandchildren now to see my little my grandchildren all play together and um just sitting at a table and eating together is like, oh my God, this is really what it's supposed to be all about, you know, mm. important. As you know, I just um, I just finished interviewing Mary Lee because yes. I've just finished reading her book. Almost, I've got 100 pages to go. <laughs> but, um, and it's it's very, the theme is very centralized around family yeah. and love and yeah. the importance of that yeah. over anything else. And I don't know, I've realized... Maybe it's my age turning 30 this year, which is so <laughs> funny. You can't believe that. <laughs> I, that blows my mind. Um, I've just realized that, you know, life is all about family and the people that you meet along yeah. the way. And, and I guess I just wanted you to know that you were one of oh. the people that I've met along the way that are, I hold very dear to my heart and oh, you're very special so to lovely. me. So oh, bless you. I, um, that is so kind. I can't tell you. Yeah, I often think sometimes when I'm standing in the studio and I'm I'm in a bit of a conundrum, what what would Mr. Boyd do? Oh, sweet. Oh, my God. So, I, yeah, I just wanted to, by doing this podcast, make sure that you know how much you mean to oh, me. Oh, that is – I appreciate that more than you'll probably ever know. That's really, really beautiful of you. So um, – Thank you. And it makes me very uh, happy to know that you are still teaching and such a huge part of you – know, well, the director of the academy – because it means that, you know, you're also now a guiding light for many thousands of others, young dancers. Yeah, so I, I hope so. I hope we can give them what they definitely are. <laughs> but yeah. That's very sweet of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Georgia. Beautiful to talk with you. Thank you.